episode of sicker than most i'm your host steve and today i have a good friend of mine on the show we are all the way out here in beautiful sunny santa clara california um we're we're getting this uh this new season three rolled out and some style and some class and uh you know a little bit of sass so we got a uh, we got a good friend hayden on the show today um hayden how you doing Good. How about you, brother? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, this has kind of been a little uh, this episode's been kind of in the works for a little while now. You know, it definitely is something that needs to happen, and I'm excited for it. Um, you know, without without spoiling too much. Um, actually, without spoiling anything at all, I'm just I think we'll just we'll just roll into it. So, like, Hayden, how? Walk us through kind of like what happened before the drugs and alcohol, kind of like how you got to a point where like you needed to get sober, right? And then um, getting sober now. What did that what what did that look like? What did life look like for you know in in Hayden's early years? So, when I was a kid, like I, I had everything that I needed. I had a great home. Uh, I had clothes on my back. I had food, um, but the the home life itself was was broken. Um, not that that's why I became an alcoholic, but it was certainly fuel to it. Um, to to give you an example, my first memory is nine eleven, and because I lived in the D.C. area growing up, it was it was important to everyone that lived there the day that it happened my mom like I'm three years old at the time she pulls me out of preschool and to give you some background on my mom she's a poli sci major um, loves news used to work in news broadcast as a producer Um, so she pulled me out of preschool like we we evacuated went home and she turned on CBS, like, emergency broadcast, sat me down, and had me watch the people jumping from the buildings because they didn't want to get burned in the fire, the, the planes hitting the buildings, the building collapse. Um, and, and her message around that was, this is what the world's like, get ready. Um, going deeper into that, I, I am grateful for my mom for doing that. And I'm also, you know, like that was a resentment for a time because I grew up to be like, and, and that wasn't the only time I watched CBS news with my mom. Cartoon network was locked. Nickelodeon was locked. Um, the only thing television that I had access to probably the only thing appropriate for me at the time was Food Network otherwise I was watching Numbers, Criminal Minds CSI Miami um so you know I I my my mind sort of 
went down a dark, cynical view for the world that I lived in. Do you think that, you know, she was trying to help or do you think that was still like out of fear? Both. Both. Um, like as as I said, I'm I'm grateful to her because it certainly gave me a leg up in a way. Not that self knowledge necessarily helps. Um it, it it certainly gave me a leg up. Um at the same time, you know, because you're 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 one of my friends and you're in my circle, you know how dark I am. You have a bit of a dark side. And yeah. if, <laughs> if anyone knows if anyone knows Hayden for for who he is, wonderful guy, you know, and uh and part of that is your dark sense of humor which we all love and appreciate you know <laughs> I, and and that's how i cope with the world um you know just as dr young who is featured in our literature like i i love psychology um and in his letters back and forth with bill um he mentioned sort of like two things one the reason he believes that we call alcohol spirits is because we're pursuing a spiritual experience and then two you know he he talks about it one of the ideotropes in his work was the shadow which is sort of our dark side and alcoholics are trying to run from that we're not accepting of it um, which which is interesting too because like the whole duality of it is that while we're chasing you know drugs and alcohol to try and escape the dark side of our nature or like you know the the um the negatives in our lives right like we're actually we're actually getting that much closer to it yeah um sort of like a a story to that um and it, it sort of goes to the points like you'll you'll hear an old timer talk about here. The people that we resent the most, that we like come to hate, are the people that we're most like. Classic spot it you got it. Yeah. Spot it you got it. Um But like my grandfather on my dad's side was like he had his flaws. He um before the Korean War great guy came back metal plates in his chest they gave him a bottle of vicodin and a handle of john barleycorn and said this is your solution my my father's home life was you know nightmares and understatement like my grandfather tried to kill the family twice like kill and the only reason they didn't die was because guys at the bar called my grandmother beforehand and said, he has a gun and he's coming to kill you. And they got out. From from the stories that I heard of my grandfather when I was young, I was like, I, I'm praying that he's getting tortured in hell. As soon as I got into AA, I realized like that resentment went away immediately. I was like, holy shit, I've become that man. I'm him. I ran from that and I became it. 
because I didn't pay attention to what was really going on. I'm just shoving so much alcohol. Like drugs are a part of my story too. I'll like, I'll get into that, but you know, the other thing, going back to my home life a little bit, my, my father's working six and a half days a week to get a chiropractic practice started up. The best times I had was when I was with my dad on that like half day he wasn't working because my mother like my mother and I our relationship is far better than it ever was and it was because I got in the program and also did like a little bit of Al-Anon um, because I, I do think my my parents are uh, the semi like wet slash dry alcoholic like they don't drink as much as they used to but they were both killing a bottle and a half of wine a night when they were married and in the hereafter and do you, do you think that that's almost like at least for your dad potentially like some um generational trauma right like he saw um whether it was good or bad like you know or whether your grandpa viewed it as good or bad, right? Like your grandpa used drugs and alcohol to fix whatever whatever problem he had going on in his life. And then, you know, your dad seeing that, even though he despised it, right? Like that that was like how he learned how to cope. I, I, I do think that that is the case. And I heard stories like my dad in high school, like he grew up on a farm. He became the man of the household when he was 14. And my my uncle went off to join the Navy um, and he was a great kid in high school gets to college uh, who I call my uncle Paul one of my dad's fraternity brothers be like son your father would come off the football field and kill a pitcher of like a pitcher of beer in three seconds like we're talking like beer bong we're talking just like just J chugging the pitcher chugging the pitcher it's impressive it's gonna be like it's gonna be like a world record of that <laughs> yeah i mean think he's he's thirsty as hell he just went through a football game and he took it down but it, and, and, like, and you're you're like six four right yeah six five. is your is, your, is six, five. six five is your dad taller than you no my dad's six foot really but he's like he built He's corn fed. Okay, corn for show, for show, for show. Um, so when, when you know you had you had the childhood with mom, right? Where a lot of the information that you're that was getting fed, to, like information that was getting fed to you, right, was directly from like news sources, right? You know, news channels and all that stuff. Your mom being a poli sci major and being very. Um, we'll say actualistic, right? Like or like very much like you know like this is how the world is right um at what like how did how did it go from that right and then having like you know the half day a week with your dad like how did it go from that to like when drugs and alcohol entered the picture so the first time i like drank i was actually six and it was my family friends came in from france um, and my mom was like, all right, we're going to show them how cultured you are. A few glasses of red wine at dinner because the kids over there drink. They're drinking from like age four. Yeah. What is the drinking age in France? Well, you can go get 
anything like beer when you i i think like 15 or 16 and then spirits at 18 so you know they're they're more progressive but the like in the home setting your parents are giving you alcohol from the time that you're very young mm. and you know one of the things that um my my mom wanted to me to be was well educated uh have a perspective that no one else was going to bring to the table um i i i think she was grooming me for politics it's what it seemed like i certainly can't do it now but um she she wanted me this sort of verbatim quote from my from my mom I want you to critically analyze and question every statement that someone makes, including me. I want you to be able to debate me. Which, you know, as I said, it, it helped give me a leg up in the parental setting. When I have kids, they're going to know my words law. I'll, I'll listen to their opinions. But if I say something, I don't want to debate. Because... I have a lot of character defects today because of the way I was raised. And when drugs and alcohol came in, when I really started drinking, I was 14 years old. I, I can picture it. So I, I would get these water bottles filled with Burnett's orange vodka. And I'm going up to my room, 14 year old. And I had like a mini head shop up there too. I was smoking weed before I was really drinking, but when, when I started, it was 14, um, and I wasn't doing it with friends. I'd just go up to my room because I wouldn't drink myself into oblivion. I was running the, the very realistic perspective that my mother was painting and wanting me to see, and when I started seeing it, I was like, I don't want to be here. Fuck this shit. Do you feel like almost too like part of growing up with with like that view, right, or that I ideology, right, of of um, you know the, this world is a is a, is a negative, terrible place, right? Like this is all the all the stuff that goes on. Do you think that was almost like that was just like traumatizing for you, like that just instilled that like because we always talk about like alcoholics are like ran by a thousand forms of fear right yeah. and so like do you think that that really kind of instilled like that you know fear is fear needs to be like at the forefront of your mind every action up until i i came into the program was based on a type of fear i you know reflecting upon you know it didn't come off that I was fearful of course no I think that's I think that's kind of like the the interesting fact about right like running from fear is the first part is like denying the fears real or doing everything impossible to not make that fear reality right doing everything possible to not accept what's actually going on inside of us yeah I, I you know I was highly fearful I was terrified did you know you were fearful like co like consciously like were you aware of it at that time like were you like you know i'm afraid of this world 
I don't like these things that are happening, right? I mean, going from like 9-11 being um, presented to you, right? Like, and showed to you, like, from at such an early age, like, do you feel like almost it was like you had a bit of awareness of like, I am a fearful person or was it, was it like completely the opposite of that? It, when I was very young, I was aware of it. Um, but sort of, I, I grew up to be a fighter. And when you hit that fight or flight response, you're fighting because you're afraid, but you're not aware of it. And, you know, it's like another story growing up. So we're sitting at the kitchen table and I guess my mom had a bad day and she's like, well, fuck, it doesn't matter. Humanity's not going to be here in 50 years. How old were you at the time? Eight or nine. Oh, wow. And, you know, when you're eight or nine, your parents, like, what your parents tell you, you know, you believe to be truthful, like 100%. (laughs) Like, that's those are your role models. Those are the people you look up to, whether you like it or not. Those are what... Those are the people at that age is what's forming your perspective on reality. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll do high school in a quick brush because my story doesn't really start getting in interesting until I, I come out here for college. But, um, you know, there was, there was, can't really do it in quick brush, but to your point, um, you know, my, after I heard that the subconscious belief that Anything I do in this life does not matter. It doesn't. Because we're all going to be gone. And no one's going to be here to take my stock for whatever I did. Um, like, getting into high school, you know, because of my childhood, I was borderline sociopath. Um, not a sociopath, but borderline. Um, it was more like you were just, ki- you were, sound like you were conditioned to be so, or to have yeah. like those traits where it's just like, nothing matters. Your point doesn't matter. This is all going to be over. This world is terrible. Very almost, would you say more like cynical? Yeah. I mean, almost in a way nihilistic too. Um, but you know where where it really took a turn in the worst way so i i was part of my youth group i was a church kid um we took a trip with habitat for humanity to white sulfur springs west virginia now part of my family came like my mom's side of my family came from west virginia and White Sulphur Springs is like 40 minutes away from where my family came from. So it, was, it, it meant something to me. It meant something. We're there for four days, five days. We, we didn't get to do anything because it was raining so hard. The day we get to go do something, we, we get to put some work in on a house And then we get back to the civic center, get showered, cleaned up. We're going to, we're going to go, uh, get burgers down the town. I, I think I'm like the first one done or I'm the first one out the door. And I start walking out the back of the civic center down the street. That's taking us down the town. All of a sudden I hear, 
and I look up on the hill above us down into the channel and there is a wave of water just coming. Now it crashes down into the town. If that channel wasn't there, that civic center would have been destroyed. Where, where'd, the, where'd the water come from? A dam above the civic center sitting on the mountain. It, it didn't, if it completely breached, I'd be dead. But uh, luckily it was just like a partial breach. But wow. So it was like the amount of rain from those past couple days just like over flooded the dam and it, 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 and poor maintenance. It's, it's West Virginia. Yeah, that's true. It's pretty, it's, it's uh, definitely a under, underdeveloped or under, underfunded area of the, of, of the United States for sure. Yeah. And that, that was the sad thing too, because I watched this water. Um, I think I deleted the video off my Snapchat. Otherwise, I I would show you. But um, it was June 23rd at 4, 4.03 p.m. Like, I remember it. The entire town gets destroyed. I watch women, children, like, it did not care who you were, die in front of me. Luckily, we were there, being of, of service, we're able to shelter 156 people in the Civic Center. But I was like, this is, this is the part of my, where my spiritual journey really begins. Um, like, I had always believed my God was there, but I wasn't in an active relationship. When that happened, I was like, God, how the fuck can you do something like this? These people have nothing. And you just took what little they had from them. And, and this is the world that you prize over? Fuck you. Like, I, you know, this, this takes more of a turn when I get to college, but I start, like... I start looking for a power that will allow me to go. Like that was my dream. I just want to destroy God's world, take all the happiness away from God. And then I wanted to go destroy God. Now I, I, I realize now like that was never going to happen, but that's what I wanted. Do you think it was almost like, because everyone talks about like having a relationship with a God or a higher power of, you know, your understanding and whatnot being like this. Okay. If you're having a relationship, it's like, it's going to be like, it's positive, right? You're like, you're growing, like you're like continuing to seek out God's will in your life. You know, you're trying to learn those lessons, yada, yada. But it sounds like when your relationship with your God started or your higher power started, it was like, it was an, it was in the complete opposite, which is kind of interesting. You don't normally hear that. Right. It's just like, you know, Usually if people are like angry at God, it's just like they, they, they don't acknowledge him or they don't pretend like their higher power is real or, you know, whatever. And, but it sounds like it was like a complete opposite for you. It was, and it was because of my pride and ego. Like I thought I could be a better God. Like I could wipe the slate clean and create something better. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting too about that is it's like witnessing all those people die right in front of you as a, what you were like. 18 
16. 16. And already having like a negative view on kind of like what this world is to you or what this world is, is going to be or whatever. Right. Like that's, that's like painting like a picture that like not a lot of people will ever, you know, just coincidentally that will never ever experience. Right. There's people that will live in parts of the country, parts of the world and just kind of have a, a happy, decent life, you know, and never, never see any real tragedy, never see really any negativity, you know, um, at least to that magnitude. And then there's like other people who are on the complete polar opposite. Right. And especially like, you know, in, in, you know, other countries and like, or even in just certain pockets of America, like West Virginia, right. Where it's like, it's constantly a struggle, you know, it constantly seems like everyone's getting like the short, short end of the stick or the, you know, the amount of resources just are really limited, you know, and the amount of opportunities to like grow or like be financially secure just aren't there, you know, or financially stable aren't there. Yeah. It, I mean that, that was because of what I grew up in that, that part, like the people in West Virginia, that was the picture that I got. You know, I certainly had wonderful moments in childhood. And I think because I I wasn't living in what like the the people in West Virginia were living in constantly. Like I I would make the argument that there was an expectation that the day was gonna be shitty there. And there's sort of more peace and serenity in that. Like you don't get your hopes up. What, you know, as I said before, I, I grew up in a, like, I had a great home. I had clothes, food, everything was provided for me. But when things went bad, it stung. It stung. And things would go bad. It's almost like you, it's, it's, it's harder to have a shitty day when you think you're going to have a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then after, after kind of having this vendetta towards your higher power and kind of basically like going, going completely against all, all things like, you know, positive, right? What, how, how did that kind of tie into like your relationship with drugs and alcohol? I, I wanted to destroy any sense of empathy that I had because if I wanted to pursue and achieve what I wanted to achieve, I couldn't, I couldn't have humanity in me. So the alcohol, the cocaine, uh, the marijuana, it numbed me. You know, the, the last remaining thing, the thing that saved me in the end was that fundamental principle of God that we all have within us. I destroyed every last shred of my humanity that I could using drugs and alcohol to numb it and also to shut up that fundamental principle that I had in me because it was screaming out in pain but I needed to be numb and you know to give you an idea of what that took like I was going through an eight ball of coke a day 
I was probably smoking a little bit more than an ounce a day. Uh, I'd, I'd run through a half pound in, in a week. Um, like slabs of wax. Not like I'm, I'm picking up a gram of wax from the dispensary. Like I, I was getting slabs. Um, and then, you know, like my, my morning routine was I could not wake up well if I didn't have five chops. So I'd get out of bed automatically five chops and then I'd usually have 151 or the the Kirkland vodka in my room and I'd start in on a fifth um like and and I'd end the night with a fifth so was that because that's a that's a that's a lot of drugs and alcohol right was that something that was pretty quick or was it like a, was it like a progression? Like did drugs, cause it sounds like at the end, does, doesn't sound like drugs are really working for you. Right. Having to no. do that much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So like, did they work at the beginning or do you feel like it was kind of just always this constant chase for like you to just completely numb out like every part of yourself. Right. Like in whatever means possible, you know, like there's what, what I'll say with, with drugs and alcohol in the beginning, it was fun because I'm either reaching oblivion or I'm so twisted out of my mind that it was actually enjoyable. I liked that lack of control. Um, for me, in my mind, the shit that I was getting into, it's like playing Russian roulette in that sliver. Like I was alive. Um, towards the end, it was just chasing the dragon, bro never getting there and it went from fun to fun with problems then just to straight problems um so when when i got to college i joined a fraternity and um you know i had sworn off alcohol actually because i i would get too out of control in high school like violent um so just in high school, my last couple of years, I was, I was smoking dope. Um, and then I get to college, join a fraternity. It's not really like you don't get the choice of not drinking. If you, you want to be in a fraternity, you're drinking brother. Right. <laughs> there's, so, there's no two ways about it. So, um, and it progressed from like killing eight natty lights in the beginning to 15 to to a rack and then like on saturdays we'd we'd like have beer die day because college i go to beer dies life um and there was this drink i wouldn't i wouldn't play with beer um there's this drink in my drunken stupor i named the queen mother and it's it's a fifth of tequila, a fifth of vodka, um, a fifth of rum. And then you, you boil a bunch of like Earl Grey tea, dump that in there. And then you, why, the, why the Earl Grey? I don't know. I thought I was being fancy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put in orange juice and I would put it in this big pitcher and carry it around with me, like all the dye tables. And so I'm starting in on this, at like 9 30 and i don't think i would ever finish it because i was blacked out by noon 
<laughs> like I was gone. Um, but you know, it, it was a progression where, where it, it really changed up. So in my sophomore year, um, my girlfriend that I had had and the reason we were so good together was because we were both really fucked up in the head. Um, like toxic codependency to, to the extreme. Um, and we were sick, dark people as it was too. I, I walk into another fraternity's party because one of her friends texts me like that. She's worried about her and it's actually Chan's fraternity. And I think he was there that night too. I, I walk in and I like looking around for, her, I go check one of the bathrooms and she's sitting there cutting into her wrist with a knife, like trying to slit her wrist. Had I shown up later, she, she would have completely slit her wrists. Um, but I, I grab the knife out of her hand, throw it in the tub, grab her, get her attention. And then I just lose my shit. And, you know, I think, I think my descent would have gone a little bit more slowly had like a week later she was mandated by the school to receive like counseling um and because of that her counselor said hey you can't be in a relationship to do this so we broke up and the importance of that was that was the one thing that I sort of like coveted was my love with that woman. And then I had that taken. That was, that was the last thing that was like precious to me. Would you say that that relationship was kind of the last thing that was like holding you together as like a, you know, a person kind of like a, or hold, holding your life together in a way that like you weren't going to burn everything down with drugs and alcohol because you had something to like, you know, look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I went from being like a kid with problems to an adolescent that was, you know, a little messed up in the head to, um, when I get to college, like fucked up person, when that happened, I like, I full on monster. And it, it's, it's one of the things about our book. Like I'm never going to be a saint. I'm my sponsor likes to tell me like, he'll say, Hayden, you're a good man and all this, but he's like, bro, you're never walking on water. Not you. You may run through the fire, but you're not walking on water, brother. And, uh, because one of the things is like, I, I try to push myself to achieve that. And I've burned myself out. And he's saying that to remind me like, Hey, you're, you're human. Don't like you're shooting way past the stars. Um, take it easy on yourself. So you'd say that like when you were drinking and using you, 
you really thrive to be just like an absolute monster, evil, all that stuff. And then now that you're sober, like you try and push yourself to be like the greatest person of all time. Like the, yeah. the, the best version of yeah you as possible. And like, so I'll, I'll give a little bit of context around that. So you've heard me talk about my like spiritual experiences a little bit, but when I meant I went searching for a power, I went searching for like the only, what, what I came to find was like people often confuse me for being a Luciferian or Satanist. No, I don't worship some creation. Back in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Torah, Tanakh, like I, I am Christian. I'm not here to preach Christianity. Find what works for you. Like my God. And, and there's a lot of other spiritualities and faiths that I blend into my Christianity. But my God is my God for a reason. My God may not work for you and probably won't work for you. You got to come to your own understanding. But there's this thing and like I generally don't say its name because it's bad juju. Um, but before the, in, in, in uh, scripture, it sort of talks about like God's light comes into the world. This was the thing that was existing in the darkness that wants it to go back to the darkness. Um, and you know how we sort of have spiritual experience, God shots, maybe a burning bush or there's spiritual awakening and you can feel the presence of your higher power. I felt the presence of that thing because I opened myself up to it and I will never be able to close that door. The only thing capable of closing that door for me is God. And I have a daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual maintenance for that door to stay shut. So you feel like kind of part of like the program of right, the 12 step program of like continuing to grow, you know, and live along spiritual lines, right? More or less kind of gives you, gives you not just a reprieve from your drugs and alcohol, but like a reprieve from all like the, you know, for lack of a better word, like, right, like satanic stuff that you were doing back when you were getting high. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, I think it's like you kind of got like, what everyone else gets out of the 12 steps, right. Is being able to like, have like a belief in a higher power and like continue to work towards that. But like, and it gives you freedom from drugs and alcohol, but it's like, you also kind of got, you know, freedom from all the other baggage that came along with like your drive to just be the worst version of yourself possible. Yeah. I mean, Opening yourself up to the thing that I opened up myself to, you know, like there's a craving, like, you know, but I can't talk about on here, um, that I was dealing longer with the obsession of that, like physical compulsion after the obsession to drink and use was lifted. So, so at what point did, at what point did your, um, you start making a 
move towards recovery? Was it something that like you were able to acknowledge like, Hey, I need to get sober or were you kind of put in a position where you were like, I got to get sober or something's going to happen or were things already happening? Things were, so this, this is the fun story I can talk about. Um, I was a complete dumbass also out of my mind, but, uh, so I thought the cops were going to come euthanize me, stick in, like stick me on the back of a squad car and stick a needle in my arm and say, night, night. Um, so I hijacked a cherry picker and uh, flipped it and did foot pursuit with the whole police. Was, it, was this all in drug-induced psychosis? Yes, it was, brother. <laughs> um, what well, makes it that much more... Uh, that much more impressive. Yeah. I mean, the like, I was doing some parkour Spider-Man shit, too. The the amount of adrenaline and psychosis strength that I had. I was ledging walls that, you know, and, and mind you, being at the time, you know, I'm 6'5", 235 right now. I was 160 at the time that this was going on because I was so strung out on shit and like because I did that and I did it right over by the cop station, right back over here by the school, there were 25 squad cars that responded to my call. Not only did I have SCPD here, I had S like the, the sheriffs, um, there was a fucking chopper out for me. Like, if it was GTA, bro, I got the five stars. <laughs> um, and KPIX had a chopper out. And I had, luckily, they, I guess, because of my rights and me being a college student, didn't put my name up on the news. But I, I made the news that night. And my mom was like, fuck, this is probably my son. Called my chapter advisor. And he was like, yeah, it's Hayden. When they put me in the squad car to take me to jail, like I'd lost, like lost it. I almost broke the window out and they had to roll up the double blinded window. And they're like, we can't take him to jail. He's hurt someone there or hurt himself or get himself killed. So they took me to the psych ward. Give you an idea of that over the course of that next year. Over the course of like two years, I have a year and a couple of months. Real quick, what 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 psych ward did you end up going to? Santa Clara Valley Med. Oh, that's a fun one. Yes. Well, you'll you'll hear about one later that's a little bit more fun. But um, like I actually like Santa Clara Valley Med, which is a hot take. But when you go to Heritage, <laughs> when you go to Heritage Oaks, which here it's is, here it's sicker than most. <laughs> We're full of hot takes. Oh, I loved Fremont Psychiatric, too. I loved Fremont Psychiatric. If anyone's listening, I know I got a lot of Bay Area listeners. If anyone's been to um, the Santa Clara Psych Ward, you know, um, let's let's hear let's hear about those. Let's hear about those stories. <laughs> those are always great. So, I mean, I or good Sam, too. I like hearing the good Sam ones also. Um. You know, I'm I'm in there for a week, pretty much just keep my keep to myself at at Valley Med. 
um, watched a couple of fights, lost a, or watched a couple of people lose their shit in there. And for me at the time, it was entertaining. Like, I was like, I'm having fun. What, what better are you going to do in a cycle? <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? exactly. TV hours are just what, an hour after, after each meal? Um, I mean, I don't even remember the time that I was at Santa Clara or so they have two different units, one for like the three day at Santa Clara Valley med. So I spent like three days there. Then they shifted me to the long-term unit and they, they had a TV pretty much going all the time, um, in, in there in the, the more long-term unit. Um, but I was pretty much sitting out in the co- courtyard getting fresh air. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just watching the fights go down? Yeah. 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 Sheriffs, sheriffs even got called on one occasion to come restrain a dude and shoot him up with some Ativan or something. Was, that was entertaining. But um, it's like it's just like MMA, but like people bite people's ears off and <laughs> yeah. then they get drugged right afterwards. One dude was throwing like shit on the floor and was throwing his shit around like a monkey. There you go. Yeah. So you don't you're not gonna you're not gonna see that in MMA. No, you're not. You know what I mean? You're not gonna see that on Fight Island. <laughs> no, you're not. Joe Rogan's not gonna be uh Joe Rogan's not gonna be doing the take by take on that one. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um where where it changed though, to to get to what you asked me. I got shipped off to Heritage Jokes, which is up in Sacramento. No, I've heard I've heard about that one. That's the state hospital. Yep. So that's you gotta. For anyone who doesn't know, you really got it. You really gotta earn that one. You gotta really, uh, you gotta go above and beyond to get shipped to a state hospital. That's where they send this unit. So, um, I was originally in three east, and for three east is like you're batshit, but you're not like uncontrollable and I, I i made some friends in there and one of them was uh this african-american guy and we're just chilling sitting one night over in a corner i think we're can't remember what we were talking about but this dude comes in hot like fresh meat and you know country tweaker and he sees my friend and he starts saying like the hard R just screaming it. And, you know, after like the, the second or third time, like I point at him, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like I, I did like, I, I'm, I'm a reformed monster. And when I was a monster, I even tried to carry a sense of class at moments. Like I, 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 I had values just a little twisted, but so I told him, shut the fuck up. And he comes over and he grabs me by the neck and I'll I'll tell, I don't think you've heard this story yet, but I'll tell it later. I said something to him and you know, he goes from being hard guy to terrified instantly. And I take his arm off of me. I grab him by the, uh, back of the head and I lean in and like sink my teeth into his throat. Now, because of that, like the, the nurses were on us instantly. 
Like, not m- much more happened than that. But because of that, I was moved from 3 East to 3 West. That's where the California puts their serial killers. I earned myself a straitjacket. I earned myself a nice, comfy, padded room. I got shot up with Ativan, like two cc's or something like that. Like they gave me a double dose and they put a face mask on me. That's when I was like, all right. Um, You know, I also, when that happened, I mean, I I was sort of having uh, the entire time that I was in the hospital sort of a come to Jesus meeting with, with my higher power that I have now. When that happened and I, I had a little bit more of a spiritual experience, it's like my God can love, has always loved me regardless of the things that I've done, has already forgiven me, but my God is like, I believe my God to be capable of anything and everything. It was made very clear to me that my God was going to let me sit and rot in there or take me the fuck out if I didn't get with the program. And I was like, all right, so I'm sort of trapped now and I don't like my options. Like, I mean, straight jacket, face mask, padded room, surrounded by serial killers. If that doesn't scream rock bottom... Okay, I think that's one of the I think that's probably one of if we're if we're thinking about all the episodes, right, that we've had on this on this on this podcast. We've heard about a lot of rock bottoms, right? But I think that that one might take the cake as the gnarliest. You know, cuz cuz I mean we have, we've had some prison <laughs> stories, right? We've had some people in prison. Right, we've had some people, um, you know, um, in meth in in meth dumpsters. We had a, we had a couple. Uh, was it Liam? Uh, meth dumpsters. Um, we had probably Eric too. You have Eric on? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Dr- uh, drinking piss into perspective. Eric H. Great episode. It's uh, Eric talks peaking, speaking, uh, drinking piss into perspective. Great episode. That's a tongue twister too. Um, but um. I think that one takes the cake as being the most, you know, the most rock bottom vibes, right? Like just not just like what it physically is, but what it symbolizes too is like, you know, anyone can like jails, institutions and death, right? We're not, we're not, we're not, um, um, you know, that's, that's where we're going to go. Yeah. If we continue to drink and use the way we drink and use, like we're going to go to jails, institutions or death death usually kind of is the easiest way out for most of us right because we go through a lot of you know pain and suffering in our active addiction jails you know technically you could still get high in jail I know a lot of people who have successfully gotten high in jail for many years like that shit yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i mean they're having drones and pigeons take drugs in now like, oh yeah, yeah yeah i think they had something going on at uh elmwood they caught some people dropping drugs off on through drones, flying them into Elmwood and dropping them off of the yard. But, um, you know, and then, and, but then there's the last one, right? Which is institutions, you know? And when it comes to institutions, like a lot of people think of like, Oh, rehabs or Oh, getting on a 5150. But like, no, like 
drugs and alcohol can alter our state of existence and our state of being and our mindset, especially nowadays with everything that's out there to the point where like we can 100% be sitting in a life jacket with face mask on <laughs> in a padded room surrounded by the worst of the worst, yeah. like ser straight up serial killers, yeah. you know? And the man that's sitting next to me on the couch right now is the furthest thing from that. So at what point in that you said, you said that like your higher power is capable of doing one of two things, letting you rot in there or getting you the fuck out. How did, how did it go from there? Essentially that was my first like foxhole prayer. Um, because you know, for me, I was like, I'd much rather be in jail to the point that you brought up. And also I, you have more rights in jail than you have in where I was. Like you virtually don't have any yeah. in, in the psych ward yeah. other than like the right to like, you know, decent like mental health treatment and like three meals a day. You really don't have a lot of rights. Yeah, you don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'd rather be in jail or I'd rather like my God just kills me and sends me to Gehenna and I get that started. Um, or, you know, I can turn to God. So I, I do my foxhole prayer and I, that's, that is the point of where I really surrendered. Um, like it was sort of part of step three. Like I hadn't been to the rooms yet. That was like the beginning of like a step three for me, like turn my will in my life over to the care of God as I understand God. And, you know, the the right to receive good mental health treatment it started finally working funnily like what do you know um i spend like a little bit more time in there they feel comfortable first transferring me from three west to three east then i get transferred from three east down to a rehab in san clemente that is dual diagnosis and I, I couldn't go back to the rehab that I love because I had sort of done something there. Not that they didn't want me back, but quite literally, I was a legal liability for them. Um, they wanted me back, but they couldn't bring me back. Um, shout out to uh, Sanadi. I, I don't know if any, any of your uh, listeners may know him, but... Uh, D director of clinicians at Olympia house. That was the man that planted the seed of like, there is hope for humanity and, and started like changing me, uh, from like a monster to a reformed monster. Um, and, but so I, I get down to the treatment center in San Clemente. I'm like, all right. So I now essentially have a pact with my God to live righteously and well. Um, and my, my God's not a creditor, but I feel debted. And it was because of the stuff that I had done. And also, like, to a point that I, I, I want to bring up later, like, if you think you're past redemption, don't. Because if God gets you to a room or God gets you to a treatment center, and like 
the understanding that I have with my God is my God's capable of forgiving anything and everything. If you're capable of beginning to forgive yourself and do the work. So at, you know, cause that's, that, that, that's a great point. Right. But I'm sure you didn't get to that point with yourself like overnight. Right. No. So I, there's still stuff I haven't forgiven myself for. I'm still working through. And I think that's a, that's a pretty common thing for a lot of people in recovery. Right. Is that, you know, with using drugs and alcohol, we get to this point of just complete and utter um, disgust towards ourselves, right? To where it takes years and sometimes even a lifetime to fully forgive ourselves for the things we've done. You know, I don't, I don't think I've met um, a lot of addicts and alcoholics that have truly forgiven themselves, right? Maybe they've gotten forgiveness through working a nine step, right? But forgiving themselves that's a that's a that's a that's a big task you know that's yeah. a big task so okay so you got you got into um treatment that last time got sober got kind of physically sober right how did your journey into emotional and spiritual sobriety look like like what did that like how did that play out so i i get to the rehab I'm like, all right, I, I have to do the work. Um, like, I want to do the work because I don't like the options that are waiting back for me if I don't. I do the work there. I get to the IOP house where I think I spent like six months. And one of my buddies there, my roommate, like he he knew I wanted it. He was like, hey, man, you, you want to go to a meeting? I'm like, yeah. So he takes me to a meeting. Sunday night, 7 p.m. And it was an HA meeting. And um, like for anyone that doesn't know, HA works the steps out of the big book the same exact way. Um, so when, when I came back up here, my sponsor was like, just get plugged in with AA because you're not going to have the HA where you are. And they do it the same way. Um, but, you know, I get to the rooms and the best suggestion that I heard was sit down, shut up, take the cotton out of your ears and shove it in your mouth. Like we don't want to hear what you have to say because you have nothing useful to say yet. And that was the truth. Um, and you know, I, I listened to find a sponsor. Like my, my whole thing is, as soon as you go to a meeting, if you want it, find a sponsor. And if you find a sponsor early on that you, you, you think you like better, you, you can relate to more that you really want what they have more switch to them. You like, um, luckily though, I, I found my sponsor. Um, we got plugged in immediately to the book. Um, I, the fourth, fourth and fifth were, were huge for me, huge because, you know, the, the other thing, um, that was sort of my belief, like I wanted to do that quick and I wanted to get it out of the way. Um, because I heard stories of people sitting on their fours and, you know, just going back out. You know, me getting to do my fourth was relief for me 
Like I, I had 157 resentments. I would have had more if I didn't lump them into like institutions, governments, corporations, humanity, um, like was one of them. Um, but I did it in three days and it was of the, the essence that fuck all that shit that I did. Like, I want to get it out. I want this off. And when I dropped that fifth with my sponsor, that was sort of like, sort of talking about feeling the presence of, of God that us alcoholics have come to know. Immediate, immediate sense of relief. Like it felt like Everest had been taken off of my shoulders. It felt like I was on spiritual opiates. And I've had that happen to me several times in the past like few years where I've felt that um, greatest feeling greatest feeling and you know the I find when it comes to is when I need it the most because either something really bad is happening in my life or um, you know I'm really really angry and God's like you need to take a chill pill uh, the spiritual opiate. Yeah, the spiritual opiate. I love that. Uh, like, I, I felt like I was levitating. Like, it, it sort of feels like ketamine, if if anyone's ever tried ketamine. Um, like, you, it's like an out-of-body experience almost. Like, I, I wasn't viewing my body, but it, it felt like I was levitating, like, on ketamine. Um, but, you know, six and seven, the, the way I was brought up on those was you you write down every character defect that you have. Like this is six. You write down every single one and then you find a spot. Um, you know, I think I had like 384 like written character defects. You go find a spot and you pray to God for every single one of those asking God to humbly remove them. If it be God's will. I still have character defects today, but a lot of them did get lifted. Um, there's a old timer in the rooms around here, uh, Tom N that likes to talk about, he, he has his bag of rocks and in his bag of rocks, there's like seven character defects that he will always have. And will on occasion, like every once in a while, take one of those rocks out of the bag and play with it. And that's the seven deadly sins. Um, you know, the reason he says that is those are the ones like, just because we are human, we will always have it's sort of like innately ingrained in us. And it goes back to your, um, advice that your sponsor gives you, right? Is it's like, you know, you'll never, you'll never walk on water, right? Allowing yourself to be a human being and realizing that, you know, there, anyone on this planet, like, is never going to be perfect. You know, we, yeah. we, we continue to try to strive for perfection. You know, we continue to, you know, the idea of like not being perfect isn't a excuse or a rationalization to be a dirtbag, yeah. you know, but like, right. Like when it comes to character defects and areas in our lives that we need to grow, there's, there's absolutely nothing abnormal right about us having 
having these things that we need to work on. Yeah, and in in my mind too, that's that's the beauty of being human. We are imperfectly perfect. We wouldn't, in my mind, have the experience of life the way we know it if we didn't have those defects. And I I could go down a whole philosophy rabbit hole, but that's not like the point. Um, you know, the difference today is most days I look myself in the mirror and I'm like, you're okay. Like you're an okay person. Um, you know, it, there is a very, um, very famous old timer that passed away a few years ago. Um, third member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the Bay area. My, my grant sponsor, um, and he used to say that on his best day, he's a six or a seven. My sponsor was like, this, this man's like a nine or a 10. Um, but, you know, I'm always just going to, I may have my moments where I'm great, good, all that, but like, I'm okay today. When back when I was in my disease, when I looked in the mirror, I was like, I was looking at evil. I I don't deal with that today. And that's simply because of my God. Like my my willpower is not able to to contain the stuff that I like like my my dark essence. It's like the the wolves. Um I I was talking to you earlier about it. Like the Dr. Young's work with the shadow of like Oh, there's the there's the, the speed of the wolves is it's like the Native American saying, right? It's like we all have two wolves inside of us. It's just and they're constantly fighting, but the one that wins is the wolf we feed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Even the best people on this planet, right? Like if they start, you know, all of a sudden just like, you know, giving into like negative things in their life, right? Sooner or later they're gonna become a negative person. Right. Cause they're, you know, that's, that's the, that's the wolf they feed. Yeah. And you know, it's in, in my experiences, every culture has some aspect of that. Like the angels sitting on the shoulders, the wolves, um, at, at, like that's a very common theme in our humanity. Uh, and you know, Dr. Young was exchanging letters with Bill when AA was really starting to form and he was talking about the acceptance of the shadow and how, you know, alcohol is referred to as a spirit because people are chasing a spiritual experience and also trying to run from their shadow. Um, and the the way that I think about it is for the longest time, I didn't view my shadow as myself. I thought it as like something that was within me, but not me. And the lack of acceptance around that was causing my character defects to come out. And when I really got to uh, accept that that isn't a part of me, but me myself, um, 
my my character defects wouldn't pop up so much um you know it it it, it really you know I, that's sort of like why uh, open-mindedness is huge in this program it's not just huge it's essential it is it's part of how right the, the honesty the open-mindedness and the willingness like um and i i was at a h and i meeting yesterday chairing and and bringing the message to some guys that just got out of prison or were liable to go to prison if they didn't do the program and uh, a guy asked me to sponsor him and we were texting and i i sent him the message of in in my belief um the the biggest suggestion that i would want to give to you right now is we limit how much our gods are capable of helping us by the level of you want to call it open-mindedness imagination or belief at what they're they're capable of doing and i hear some guys in the rooms around here they're like oh i gotta upgrade my god and for me that's that's not my understanding with my god is I'm the one who needs to evolve. I need to become more open-minded to accept the totality of what my God is capable of, to let my God in. Um, you know, the, the way I viewed the steps was it's meant to take you through a spiritual experience. It's helping remove the symptom of the obsession with alcohol but at every single step is a leveling of ego and pride because i need to remember i'm human i'm i'm not my god i'm never going to be my god and there's a reason my god is my god and i'm me and the the best way i i think like the the point for me sort of going back to what i was talking with my mentor yesterday is this program is is altruistic in nature but it's also selfish it's a selfish altruism when i do a good deed today i it makes me feel good so i want to go do more good deeds when i do a good deed today it helps keep me sober so I want to go do more good deeds. Um, it's the funniest kind of little, what is it? Uh, not catch 22, but oxymoron, right? Is that like by being selfless, we're being selfish. Yeah. You know, you can be selfless and be selfish, but you can't be selfish and be selfless. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, we get an opportunity to help someone else out or we get an opportunity to be, to do something nice or be the best version of ourselves. Um, not for us, but for us. Yeah. And to me, my involvement with AA today is service is the point. I, 
you know, just in the way that I feel indebted to my God when even though my God's not crediting me is the same way I feel indebted to AA. And I know AA is not going to come to me one day with a bill saying like pay up. But if I'm having a bad week, the meetings I go to are for me. Normally, like I, I go to a, one meeting a week for myself. The rest of the time, I'm there filling a seat for the next guy coming in. Um, it's... For the longest time when I was young and when I got to college, what my purpose became was something dark and I manufactured it myself because I felt like I didn't have purpose. I felt like a grain of dust blowing through the cosmic winds of the universe that God didn't give a shit about. So I was going to give a shit about myself. I was going to create my purpose. When I got into the program, I found my purpose. And it's not to leave those seats. Because regardless of if you're new or if you have all the time in the world, it is important that we sit in those seats because that represents hope. You know, people are going to stop showing up if the old timers or the people with a few years aren't there. It's not, you know, it's not so much, right? Like the idea of getting sober getting a life and then you're going to AA or NA or whatever a getting a life and then leaving or, you know, Right. It's like you're good. It's it's like you get a life and you continue to go to meetings because you got that life. Right. And yeah. it's like because we get this life that's like so fulfilling, so so you know, better than we could have ever thought, that's why we continue to stay. Is because I want someone else to have that. Yeah. But they can't have that if people before me who got the life that they love and they're fulfilled with didn't stay also. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and like especially to sort of more more founded in my spiritual beliefs of you know the the way you phrase this properly i guess destroy a civilization is you create a problem you stoke the flame of fear and fire and there's there's a bunch of other steps to it but the last step being is the destruction of hope because when people don't have hope anymore they don't have faith they can't get to the level of faith and if you take that away people turn on each other very very quickly right and, and the, that's sort of what we're witnessing today and the dark side of people like we talked about at the beginning where everyone has the duality of good and bad right and if you get rid of hope then the darkness will always win Mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. it's like the darkness of alcoholism and drug addiction will always win without hope right there's yeah. never like uh there's never like a, it's going to go away or it's going to stop or you know anything like that 
So, you know, with kind of like with that being said, right, like is at this point in your recovery, um, you know, how do you how do you see hope? What do you see? Like, what does hope look like for you today in your life? So. I had the best day in a while yesterday. Started my day off meeting with my sponsor. Great time as always. Got to go to a vision for you. Great meeting in the Bay Area Saturday morning at 8.30. Got to come back home. I had only had three hours of sleep. Got to sleep for another hour. Um, my, My kitten was being a little hellion and deciding to keep me up until 5 a.m. Um, so sleep, I get a call from my spiritual advisor. He's like, Hey, I'm going to be at Santana row. You want to grab a cup of coffee? So I get to go talk to him for an hour. I go home, hang out with one of my buddies around here for a little bit. And like the, the amazing thing too, was this past week this this last not this weekend but this uh weekend before um i went to go visit my grandmother who is dying of alzheimer's and we now know metastatic breast cancer that has spread to her head like you can see it on her head um and it was heavy because she's gotten really bad with her her alzheimer's and that is not the woman that I remember. She was never violent with me, never aggressive. I never heard her curse once. Like, she's a very conservative Christian, but, I, like, i sweetest woman. It was heavy on my mom, especially. And, you know, the, the thing that I got to do was I wasn't there for closure for myself. I didn't want to be there. You know, the, the way my mind works is I was thinking about breaking my arm or leg so I could bail on the trip. That's, that's, I really did not want to go. But the thing that I knew was this, I get to go be of service to my mom, my aunt, who's like on the ground there dealing with that stuff and be emotional support for them. Sunday coming back, my mom and I were a little heated, um, just simply because we were at the airport at 2.30 in the morning, flying back here. If that's not going to rob you of your serenity, I don't know what will. Yeah, and TSA gave me some issues because I left my ID at the house and bit, yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I get upset and disappointed with myself how I had reacted, not responded, reacted with my mom. And like, I talked to my sponsor, um, and I, I went through the amends process and got to have a very healing conversation with my mom. Um, but that night, like Sunday, I, I had prayed to God. I was like, please get me out of my head. Like I, I, please. And I had also prayed heavily on my character defects because that's a continue, like, Six and seven, it's a continual process. It's just like the maintenance steps. Absolutely. It's not a box you can just check. Yeah. Um, so 
this entire week, I got asked to chair three different meetings that past weekend. Um, I got to go to my normal meetings. God didn't leave room for me to complain. God didn't leave room for me to be in my head. Be careful what you wish for. You will get it. Whether, you know, like, did I want to go chair three meetings in a week? Fuck no. I, I really did not. But I did it because I was asked to be of service. You say yes. Um, and the beautiful thing about that, every single time I came out of a chair, I felt fucking great. And Saturday was, was the cherry on top. So I go in there with these rough around the edges guys. And because of my story, like they, they were able to relate the one that asked me to be his sponsor. So he gets up and he shares and I'm like, holy shit, how many, how much time does this dude have? Like he's speaking with fire. Like the passion of Alcoholics Anonymous is in some, like passion is in some dude with 20 days. That's hope. And it's, and it's powerful too. You get to see it because it, because it's not, it's not about the time we have. It's about the quality of sobriety, right? That, that we have in that time, you know? So there's people with years of recovery that, or, you know, clean time that have, there's less hope in them than there is in the guy with 20 days at the meeting. (laughs) You know what I mean? He was like, you know, I was, I was on fire after what he shared or shared like and it reminds me this is why I do it this is why I do it because a thing for me too you know when I was in my disease I was part of the problem I I was trying to destroy hope for people now I get to give hope to people I get to combat what I was that's my purpose and it's and it's each it's each and every day too yeah know? it's each and every day and there's so there's there's as long as you continue continue to do that there will always be hope in your life yeah and that's what's beautiful about recovery is that like every day sober right there will always be hope right and not everyone in in this world and society gets to have that, you know? Um, now, now before, before we, uh, before we wrap up, um, we're coming towards the end of the episode, but before we wrap up, we've started implementing this new question to end every show, right? Or end every episode moving forward. And it's, uh, it's, uh, what song would you say describes your recovery best right your sobriety now and what we're going to kind of do is we're going to end up creating a little like you know playlist of all the guests songs that would that sums up their recovery so for you hayden what song best sums up your recovery walk by the foo fighters great choice gotta love the foo fighters you can't you 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 can't not like the foo fighters no you can't i i mean like i am a I was a huge Nirvana fan when I was younger. Um, I didn't understand what Kurt Cobain was trying to say, though, when I was young. I thought it was just like 
cool grunge. Grunge, you got to love it. Um, but then, you know, when I get into recovery, there were like three artists, four, four artists that really helped through recovery. It was Eminem, the Eagles, Billie Eilish, um, and then the Foo Fighters. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect Billie Eilish to help you through your recovery. That's kind of a that's. I learned something new today. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, it was like select songs from her. Um, but I also like her because she's dark and edgy. Um, she's dark and edgy. Yeah, and she's yeah. beautiful. Um, but, you know, um, Foo Fighters were... I, I was a Foo fan before, and then, like, I really started to listen and understand the music and also know, like, what happened with Kurt and then how that affected Dave and how that affected the band. And recently, um, in, in the past year, Taylor Hawkins, unfortunately, passed from our disease. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when he passed, like, I, I, I just got a new kitten not too long ago, and I named her Hawkins. That's tight. Um, so That's I'm pretty cool. a huge Foo fan. That's awesome. I like that. Okay, cool. Right on. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing your 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 story, your experience, strength, and hope with us. Um, you know, and uh, and thank you all for listening. I appreciate all the support and the listeners here on this podcast. Um, you know, and uh, go check out, uh, go follow us on Instagram, sicker at sicker the most podcast. Um, posting new updates and stuff like that. We got new merch on the way, um, and. Um, yeah, if you guys have you guys have had any suggestions, any you know, anything you want to anything you want to bring up to us, if you have any questions, like f- feel free to reach out on the social media. Um and um you know, I like to end every episode the way I do, send it off in style. You know, so you know, just remember, right? No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you are lovable and you are forgivable. So keep that in mind, keep your head up, and keep it moving. Peace.